1: It's mind-rolling again. I'm David Silver and... Ragu Marcus. And we're really pleased to have our friend David Nickturn as our guest on the show, a Renaissance man without any hyperbole. Um, we could talk for a long time about what David does. Ragu, why don't you take a shot at that? Well, I
2: met David through Krishnadas, and many of you know who Krishnadas is. And if you don't, I promise you I'm going to send you a track of his, if you write to me at uh, MindRolling through MindRollingPodcast.com and uh, just say you never heard of him. We've been turning a lot of people on, by the way, David. Well, let's with, send a Dave. track with David on it, right? David is on, it's, it's on uh, a for your them. love, all right, David? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That Absolutely.
0: Was, that was the Maha track.
2: Yeah, and I think we have a live, I don't know, I think I have a live version of it or something, so it's really cool. Um, and, uh, David and I met because he was getting involved with Krishna Das, and, uh, you, you know, Krishnadas and I had the label Triloka for a long time. Basically, he was, you know, once he became the most famous chant walla, uh, in the world, or one of the top couple, of course, he had time for nothing, and, um, we, but we, you know, did a lot of wonderful things together. And at one point, uh, David joined forces with Krishnadas and has produced uh, some, one, you know, Heart as Wide as the World?
0: Yes, among others.
2: Among what others. What are the other ones? That one, of course, folks, if, uh, I'm just going to get right into this, uh, Mr. Silver. I'm going to call you Mr. Silver because we got two Davids here. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Mr. Silver, uh, he and I have... Uh, An Amazon portal on our website, on the mindrollingpodcast.com. It's a banner. It's Mm -hmm. a banner. It's a portal. You go through that portal and we get a few shekels out of everything you buy. And meantime, go over there and heart as wide as the world is one of, you know, uh, I've been intimately involved with Krishnadas and his music for a long time. That is absolutely top two as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, David, what else did you do with him?
0: Uh, probably three or four of the last couple of records. You right. know? Yeah, just Hard uh, as wide as the world I, I actually produced singly.
2: Right, um, and yeah, and you've been playing. David is an incredible guitar player. And more bio, bio for, for David, uh, you know, certainly. And you must be, are you sick of this, uh, you know, Maria Maldor connection?
0: No, as a matter of fact, I like to quote Martin Mull, who wrote in his Warner Brothers bio at the end of it, son of a gun, I sure had fun on my bio. (laughs) So go right ahead.
1: (laughs) I I want to say something. Wait, Midnight at the Oasis. Midnight at the Oasis is amazing. David
2: wrote it. Maria sang it. It was an incredible hit.
1: Maria's from Cambridge, where I lived, and I knew her very well. Uh, I think we should say that What a great achievement it was for uh, uh, an accomplished guitar player to fit into the Kirtan uh, atmosphere uh, without crowding it, without breaking the genre, if you like, but fitting in to that Eastern sort of, you know, uh, foundation and creating these really mellifluous, beautiful parts of, of is band.
2: Yeah, but ha- David, so, how did you get in? Because, you yeah. know, when I look back at, you know, the kind of music that, that you're involved with in and that you make, and knowing a little bit of your taste, kirtan in general wouldn't seem to be the direction that you might go. How did this happen?
0: I like to say that everything good that ever happened to me was by accident. Oh. <laughs> you know, and um, you could fault me for not doing enough things on purpose, or you could say, you know, I've ridden the waves of synchronicity in my life um, fairly amicably. We have a good relationship, synchronicity and me. But I met K- uh, KD uh, at a screening, actually, Raghu, this will be interesting for you, of Fierce Grace. <laughs> um, and I went with my then wife, Cindy Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cindy owned a ob- uh, yoga studio called Om Yoga, Uh, center in New York, and she had invited KD to come to chant there, but she said to him, um, we're a Buddhist yoga studio, so could you do Buddhist chants, which he thought was hilarious. (laughs) And it was an ongoing joke among everybody for years to come. Um, So I I, I had a band at the time with Steve Gorn, who's a a Bansuri flute player of some repute, and then Mm -hmm. we had a band called Drala, And I had a record label called Dharma Moon, which was doing kind of yoga-ish music, you know, world world fusion-y kind of cool world fusion music. And particularly with the yoga market, uh, you know, the yoga audience in mind. So I was already sort of uh, somewhat into that, but not into kirtan at all. I really actually didn't know much about it at the time. And so Steve introduced me to KD, and we were standing there chatting and saying hello. And then, uh, you know... um, uh, he, 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 Katie looked at my wife he, he said, at the time and said that's Cindy Lee and she always wants me to do Buddhist chants of course he didn't know it was, it was my wife at the time so that got even funnier <laughs> um, yeah so the, the long story short is then they, he invited me to come down to a kirtan and I went and watched and I kind of um, you know just took it in it's it's a very specific kind of environment as you know um, and it's uh, um A little more active than a Buddhist meditation hall often is. (laughs) There's a little more, you know, kind of stirring up. But actually, interestingly enough, and I'll talk about this more later on, it's not as dissimilar as you might think from certain uh, dimensions of Buddhist practice, which are more evocative, like uh, in the tantric or vajrayana portion of Buddhism. There's a practice called sadhana, which is where you're actually... In a, not dissimilar way, inviting certain kind of energies to, to to invade the space and um, you know, you're mixing your juice with it in a certain kind of way. So I it wasn't totally alien to me in that way. Mm, right. And then then K D and I just got to I don't know what happened. Oh, then he invited me to play and I'm always you know, that's all you have to do do with me is invite me to play mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. kinda of come over. And mm. then we just I don't know what happened. We got to be very, very good friends fairly quickly. And uh, then, then I started playing with him. And then through that process, I understood more of the tradition, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and to be honest, you know, I met the other kirtans and I, I'm a very curious person. So I would ask them what they were doing there, you know, what, what their practice was like and what what their worldview was and, and how they saw the practice linked with their view. Mm-hmm. So I had long talks with Shamdas, who I miss dreadfully because he was very was very yeah. eloquent about speaking about those things, but some of the other kirtan Wallace, And then I also appreciated the sense of community and, and uh, friendliness. I, I really liked that. So, so And I love to play. So I, I, I guess I was there as a sort of um, at, for, for a while as a token Buddhist. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Ra, uh, Shamdas used to call me the Shambhala Wala. <laughs> And
1: great.
0: He, said it was the only, he said I was the only bhav yogi that he, he knew who was a Buddhist. Really? Yeah. So,
2: well, yeah. I, that's a big. Uh, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, because yeah, that's actually I'm sorry. no, no. I'm just. It's funny you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's just something I really wanted to go in into with you, related to these two different paths and how much you know that seems to be such a big part of us, uh, yeah. coming from uh, lineage of our guru Neem Karoli Baba. So, but w- tell us a little bit. Uh, uh, we're going to go on about David's other accomplishments. Uh, a Buddhist teacher and record company owner. Um, as uh, Mr. Silver says, this is a Renaissance man. So, but before, uh, or w- we'll do that as we go along. You'll find all of this out. But tell us about the triggers for your transformation. You know, we, were, we talked about our, David and I have talked in earlier podcasts about our times in the late 60s and what are the things that really uh, changed our lives and how we ended up on the path.
0: Wow. Yeah. Also accidents. So, I mean, the most uh, serious accident I had, if you want to look at it that way, was um, I I ended up in 1970, in the late 60s. I graduated from Columbia in 1968 and sort of jumped right into being a professional musician from there through a variety of, uh, of things, playing guitar. And for a while I was living down in the village and I was kind of like house guitar player for a lot of I, I mean, I played with a lot of different people, Maria Mulder, Happy and Artie Traum. I played with Van Morrison one time. I played whoever needed a guitar player. I was kind of like on call a little bit in that on that strip. And uh, so I was kind of like pretty well connected into that kind of folk pop music scene uh, of uh, around 68. But in 1970, I thought, oh, g I, I actually, it's a kind of cute story, um, you guys, because I I was booked for a recording session, you know, so I went into this recording session and and um, I looked around and there were some of the most famous musicians in the world there. There was like um, Ron Carter playing bass, wow. you know, and Bernard Purdy playing drums. And, you know, and it was uh, the guy whose session was was named Pee Wee Ellis, who was the famous uh, mm-hmm, arranger course. for James Brown. And, you know, and I looked at the music, I opened the music and I went, I started to sweat bullets because <laughs> there was like dotted 64th note figures written out. <laughs> and I remember going into the bathroom and kind of making a wet towel and wiping my head off <laughs> before going back out there because I thought I can't read that, I can't sight read that, you know, do no, mm-hmm. So Pee Wee came over to me and he said, "You know, <laughs> <laughs> and he had just written it out, you know." So um, I, I, of course, was able to get through that. But the next day, I called the Berkeley College of Music and enrolled for the following year. So I went up to Boston, you know, and this was after having already graduated from college, and I went to music school. And in Boston, I started going to a yoga studio, you know, so that was the beginning of my kind of exploration of that world.
2: Had you done psychedelics by then?
0: Oh, God, yes, yeah. Yeah,
2: Well, that's that's part of the formula that everybody's... You know, repeating to us, and we really, you know, oh yeah, I, oh, absolutely, everybody,
1: everybody. You know, oh, that's so funny. clinical psychiatrists. You know, yeah, I mean, we spoke everybody. to a clinical
2: psychiatrist today, who said, yeah. So yeah, I did take LSD, and it really opened up so many doors for me. And I thought to myself, gee, that's great. She did, you know, because she's like this really, you know, uh, UCLA, you know, famous writer, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then she said, "Yeah, I did it a hundred times." <laughs> <laughs> between, <laughs> between, no, no, between the age of fourteen and oh, sixteen. Oh yeah, right.
1: I mean, come on. This I had str- friends.
0: I had friends like that who shall remain nameless, but were prominent in the folk scene at the time, very prominent. And one of them said that she did it seventy days in a row. Oh my! San God. Francisco. So oh. no, I didn't do that. And I, I, you know, interestingly enough, I'm not sure how much credit I would actually give that.
1: Oh really? Oh, that's yeah. good. Talk about that. Talk.
0: Yeah. You know, it, 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 um, I don't know, something about it seemed kind of obvious <laughs> compared to, uh, if I continue on with the, the story, I think the thing I'm going to credit it more was that I met at that yoga studio, I met my teacher, Chogyam Trunkarimbhijay and i'd give a lot more credit to that than oh I would, wait yes of you course. know what i mean <laughs> Of so, course.
2: So, I, we're just talking about you know the 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 window shade was pulled up for a minute and you go okay yes we are validatedly uh, getting the message we it's validated yeah, we I, are I, all interconnected etc no et cetera. i'm
0: not going to say i'm not going to say that that i don't think it, it was not a seminal experience for me it was mm. more like you know oh, more of the same in a way there was nothing he was pointing out that I didn't feel like already tapped into in a certain way. Hmm. So it was not like... You weren't as now.
2: miserable as I was, perhaps. Uh,
0: and I was, you know... Well, how miserable
2: made, were you? Give me, I always
0: looked like a kind of ordinary guy, but inside I think I was pretty trippy already, you know, is, is what, I, what I would say. Uh huh. So it was sort of feeling like, okay, you know, this is like... Um, <laughs> anyhow... I,
2: wait I, a minute, I, so now you met Trungpa? At a yoga center in Boston, happenstance.
0: Well, what happened was my teacher there I liked quite a lot. Her name was Patricia Harvey, and she had a studio on uh, I think on Marlborough Street. You know, um, and and uh, it was called it might have been called East West Center. Mm-hmm. But I would go there, and I was vegetarian, and I would do kind of a lot of you know I was. I guess, you know, pretty pretty much into the zone of, of, of what they were into there. And she was very pure into it, you know. And then she invited several teachers to come. And first she invited this guy, Rudy, which yeah, was... Yeah, we know uh, Rudy. Remember him?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. And so for a while I was thinking, well, maybe this is the thing. He was zapping everybody with Kundalini and whatever. And at a certain point, you know, it just began to feel a little bit like thick or something. And then... Trungpa came. Trungpa Rinpoche came to um, the center because she's one of the people who signed for him to come to to America. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, oh. she she I think had met him all the way over back in Scotland and uh, helped sponsor him to come. So when he came, he he taught a workshop at her studio. And this is September 1970, I think, or maybe maybe fall 1970. Now this workshop was called Work, Sex, and Money. <laughs> And I went, you know, this high Tibetan Lama. It's like sign me up. And I went, and he was. uh, There was only about twenty people there, I think. And he was wearing a business suit, right? Which I couldn't believe right away. I thought that's really outrageous. And um, and the first talk on the Friday night was kind of dry, you know. Uh, Intriguingly, it it was the opposite of that whole Rudy thing. Of like, you know, it was just much more grounded, very spacious. Very dry. And I remember pretty explicitly walking home from there that night. Half, I got halfway home and I started laughing. And mostly I was laughing at myself.
1: Mm.
0: Like, what am I looking for? You know, it's like, what's all this fascination and stuff? This guy was very, very grounded. Very ordinary in a sense. And so then over the course of that weekend, I remember he gave me meditation instruction. It made a lot of sense to me. I liked his space a lot. And then it kicked in, and then from then on, I just sort of rearranged my life to study with him pretty quickly after that.
2: During the time that he was, you spent time with him over that span of time that he was teaching in America over the 70s?
0: Oh, yeah, major league. You know, I, I was, I guess, one of the early adopters. You know, I was there from day one. Hmm. And I, I would go up to Karma Chuling, which was a, it still is the meditation center in, in Barnett, Vermont, and um, it's quite thriving now. But at that time, it was called Tale of the Tiger from the we,
2: we used to go there, yeah, Ram das and yeah. I. And, uh, yes, we'd all, after we came back from India in 72 uh, through 73, we would go there. Bhagavan Das, yeah, uh, Krishnadas uh, yeah. wasn't back from India at that point, but uh, no. Danny Goldman, you know. And uh, it, this, it's funny because, well, he's certainly, you know, we spent. He he was a, certainly a, a, te- a major teacher for many of us. I mean, yeah. uh, and and of course Ramdas did that whole thing in uh, Naropa. That was uh, yeah. we in fact uh, have been talking a lot about Trumpa recently because mm-hmm. I found a, a lecture that Ramdas gave in nineteen seventy three after we had been a tale of the tiger. Mm-hmm. Were you? <laughs> let's see if we are really we could have been in the same place at the same time, David. Oh,
0: I was probably there.
2: It was the Carlos Casanadas lectures Mm -hmm. at Tale of the Tiger, and actually, one of them, Trungpa called Ramdas up and had him answer questions from the audience. (laughs) I don't know if you remember, but there's a...
0: There was one even earlier than that on the Six Realms on the Wheel of Life. Were you at that one?
2: I don't remember. This is the one I remember. I Ram was at a couple was, of them.
0: Ram Dass was definitely there for
2: that. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. then mostly he came down because my father had a farm just over the Vermont border. So it was so close to us in Canada because we're from Canada. And so people, satsang used to come to the house and then we'd go down from there. So mostly we, we all did. Anyhow, it, uh, it's more to the point, this lecture, which, uh, you know, I'll have to, I'll turn you on to, and everybody, folks, you would love this lecture. This is on ramdas.org, uh, and it is, you just go to find the podcasts, and it's Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche. There's part one and two. Part one is this lecture from uh, of me talking a little bit about it myself, but, and it's Ramdas talking about the enigma of Trumpa as a teacher. Uh, related to you know, left and right, people were coming up to him and going, "How can you possibly in, be involved with this teacher who is allowing you know, who's drinking, is drunk half the time, you know, as, as sw- partner swapping, gambling, smoking, right?" And, I don't know
0: about the gambling. I never heard about the gambling, but I uh, uh, suppose.
2: But. Yeah. Anyhow, well, this is <laughs> this is from Rob. Who knows what really happened? But he w- But he was. And he talked about it from a point of view that you do not, you know, that the fact that he was allowing this stuff to come out in his students and then they engaged with this rather than it be hidden away, you know, was was a lot about what what he was about. Mm-hmm. And and it's a, anyhow, it's a fascinating lecture and uh, you'd probably dig it yourself, but we've been getting mail about it too, uh, okay. you know, about Trungpa. How can you promote... And uh, Neem Karoli Baba, devotee, promoting
1: Trumpa, you know, that kind of a thing. I'm like, what?
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, people are outraged about it? Yeah, 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 a
1: couple of people. One person in particular. But, you know, last Sunday I went to a Buddhist meditation group in Westchester I go to. It's a Trumpa group, John Baker's group. And we played a a Trumpa video. And, you know, it's been 40 years. And it had the same effect on me as then it yeah. just so it blew, blew me out of my seat w- can, we I, are can i just finish staying? okay i'm sorry thank you um what blew me away was that he was as clear as anyone i've ever met and okay so it's 40 years on and i'm sitting there i'm supposed to have learned something i was as glued to it and felt like I'd, i knew nothing <laughs> and that he just filled my you know being with uh, wisdom last mm-hmm. sunday last sunday Wow. So, you know, that's a long span to have a grip on a human being. And if someone doesn't like Trump, oh, well. Anyhow, means nothing that we had a compliment.
2: But, <laughs> but the point is, it is it is something, it's a, it's a subject that's, you know, very relevant today, whether you have many, many teachers that, let's say, are not necessarily doing the right thing uh, a good part of the time, or some of the time, and uh, don't have the correct motivation, etc., so it it is a subject that we've been going on about a little bit, but basically uh, really sharing Trungpa's teaching. so you know this is consecutive lines between you know your your tradition and ours, which
0: oh oh, interestingly enough, you know obviously, at some point maybe in the conversation, we can talk about these two um, these two teachers, you know, Trunk Rinpoche and and Neem Karoli Baba, because um energetically. I feel there's a lot of similarity, actually, which may, people might ride with that or not ride with that. I don't know. But I this is through KD, obviously, most of my perception mm-hmm. of it is through KD and the other students. But there was a feeling of um, some kind of wisdom that went beyond any kind of conventional framework.
2: Yeah. I mean, of course, Maharaji never talked about it. He didn't give talks. He didn't teaching no, no, but, but, on that kind
0: of a basis. It was way different, obviously. But you know what? The the Trungrimite that that I studied with uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, real studying was going on, not at the talks.
1: Yeah. But no, in the household
0: sure. or whatever, you know. So um, yeah, that's. I don't mean in the outer form of it. I mean main, mainly in the the what we would call inscrutability.
2: Mm, in right. Yes. Yes. And, Absolutely. And
0: there's an interesting thing. Inscrutability is one of what's called the four um, uh, the four dignities of Shambhala. It's, it's meek, perky, outrageous, and inscrutable. Inscrutable is like not that you're hiding something, but that your mind is unfathomable.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And the image is it says like space, which cannot be punctured by an arrow. Mm-hmm. So I think in that regard, those two teachers were similar.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, Since we're on that tack uh, a little bit related to two traditions, and really on the surface two very different traditions, which one would be um, bhakti yoga and the other would be Tibetan Buddhist, um, and, you know, you made a little comment before related to what uh, Shamdas called you, right, <laughs> um, and and mixing up these two things. Now, we've been intimately involved in that way from the very beginning of our days in India. Mm. Um, and, in fact, to this day, I mean, the stuff that, like, we do with Krishnas Ramdas and Krishnas himself certainly teaches with Sharon. I mean, the only one, he, I don't think he shares it any kind of teaching with anyone other than close Buddhist friends, basically. <laughs> and so, And same with Rampa. I mean, you know, we just, I just, uh, we just did something with him in, in Maui with Roshi Joan Halifax. And by the way, people, take advantage of her. She's an incredible being. Roshi Joan Halifax. Just go up and Google her up. But uh, So that's been very much a part. Tell us about the integration of it for you.
0: Well, you know, I uh this all comes down to two topics for me. And one is Prajna, you know, which is clear seeing, uh, discriminating awareness, wisdom-like. And one of the things that Prajna does is sees what's different. Like, for example, what's different between wheat and chaff? That's that's Prajna. What's the difference between confusion and wisdom? Right? But it also sees what's the same. Mm. So... um, in, in that regard, when I'm interacting, my karma has sort of led me to be in the Maha Sangha. Well, that's what I call it, anyhow. You know, I teach at Omega and Kripalu and, uh, you know, yoga studios. And you can't just walk in and say, okay, this place is only dedicated to this tradition. It's, you're in the, in the larger uh, arena. And I've also spent a lot of time in, in the even more Maha arena, which is just the whole phenomenal world. And, and you know, where, where nobody cares what you think is supposed to be the legitimate or conventional way to go about something, they just want to know if it works or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I won't, I never leave that behind as the final litmus test, you see. The maha-maha world, which is just the world itself, as it right.
2: is. And that's everything, you know, again, that uh, we're interested in and what we represent. So we're on the page with you, absolutely.
0: Okay. So when it comes time, and this is very traditional actually for different traditions to come together and debate or compare or or discuss, but never with the idea of, of uh, uh, creating further aggression, but always creating more understand more wisdom, you know. So in, in the Buddhist tradition, debate is always you, you in a s I don't want to say it this way exactly, but you'd almost rather lose than win. <laughs> because when when you lose, you're learning something. Mm. So that's if you go in with that attitude that you you might learn something, I don't think you can ever be defeated actually. Right. So um with people, you know, now if somebody says, "Look, this is just a matter of faith. There's nothing really to talk about. You either get it or you don't get it or whatever." There's a limited conversation you're going to have with that person. Uh and there are certainly people who go under the banner of various <laughs> people like that dog.
2: Exactly. Oh, our dogs are part of our podcast. Every yeah, there
0: you know, obviously.
2: <laughs> you know,
0: people who would say, you know, I I don't really want to compare notes or anything like that, and I don't really want to open up the gateway towards having this conversation because my faith is uh, kind of fixed and and it just is what it is. So okay, as as uh, as you would say, let let it be. But if there's any kind of sense of interest or curiosity and like for example somebody like sham das who is a pandita style from your tradition you know some are more he's a bhakti yogi but but he was also a pandita he was studied you know yeah so we would have very interesting conversations not just theoretical but like for example and i think this is the one that it really all gravitates towards is um he and i would at omega's uh kirtan weekend sometimes stay up till five or six in the morning even and and just get so uh, in, in, into it to see what is similar and what's different about the way we both study and practice.
2: You know? Really, yeah. yeah.
0: And I I, ch- I cherished it. I was very sad when he was gone. Hmm. You know, to, o- only in the sense that like I w- like I was having a great chess match with somebody, and now it's you know I just has to take a different form. But but the point was like you look and you go well, and of course KD and I do this all the time too. What like there's a notion in, in, in the Buddhist world of Rigpa. You guys know that word, right? Yes, Rigpa. So it means non-dual awareness, really, or non-conceptual awareness, natural wakefulness. How does that fit into what is a Bhakti yogi's relationship to that? Mm -hmm. You know, is there something beyond this mere act of dualistically being devoted to what seems to be an external uh, teacher or, or energy field? Is there any moment at which it's it's uh, sort of be, we we become connected with it in a way that is uh, is uh, beyond where we started from, you know? So and 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 so looking at these different traditions, what 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 shaman I would get into is is like okay, the Bhav, man, that's clearly where you want to get to, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know. But is there any even subtle element of attachment to it? Because in Buddhism. We all know that there's these six realms, and one of them is called Devaloka, the god realm. And the god realm is very much more pleasant than what we're experiencing right now, but there's a subtle attachment to it which produces a kind of ignorance or ignoring of of impermanence and of suffering. So it's considered a a kind of impure realm, even though the beings in it think they've achieved nirvana. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's—is there anything in anything that we're doing that we're even subtly attached to, as like thinking, I, you know, this is where I want to get to. There's some solid, fixed reference point of this extremely pleasurable circumstance. So in Buddhism, they emphasize the negation of that, you know, a little severely because you want to cut through that kind of attachment. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes the Bhakti yogis—they look like they're a little bit feeding on that.
2: Right, you know? and that's why Trumpa used to call us. Um loving lighters. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that?
0: <laughs> I I don't know who exactly he's referring to there. I think he was referring to He was to referring
2: directly to Ramdas and the group that was around him. And it's, uh, yeah. we have it on tape actually. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so and he was making fun in you know, in a certain kind of way of the yeah. uh of what I guess people could call blind faith or yeah. Uh, or a lack of, of some kind of discriminating wisdom.
0: Yeah, and he would call it spiritual materialism. That was the yeah, great, right. great phrase that he alone coined, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which will live for millennia. I think. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant phrase, you know?
1: David, David, a lot of our audience is young. Yeah, good for them. Thank, lucky for thank them. goodness, yeah, right. <laughs> lucky, lucky dudes. And, uh, you know, uh, they know, some of them know a lot about this, some less. Yeah, but you know uh, in your videos on youtube uh, a few of them uh, are about why meditate yeah. meditation is a blunt instrument and, and so on mm-hmm. very helpful well, mm-hmm. I, my question is speaking to those sort of g- group of people who want to be there but maybe yeah. not quite sure how to get into it yeah uh, meditation is such a bulwark of all of all traditions even jewish and christian and so forth yeah. as well as, as as eastern what would be your sort of you know advice if you like as to where to start the process so that they don't feel like they're in an alien world that doesn't you know where where do do people start and and remember
2: the attention span of everybody including us with our iphone checking yeah is you know 34 seconds
0: shrink and shrinking
2: yes You have 34 seconds to respond to that question. true. You
0: know what? I was on a HuffPost uh, live uh, Google chat this morning. Oh, really? uh, With some uh, three or four other speakers, and they they were talking about the, um, somebody had written an article saying that misery is good for you, actually. Um, That, that, you know, that if you're not open to the full range of emotions, you know, and just interested in being happy, for example, that actually that does not produce well-being. So, and there was a guy who was a psychologist who was coming at it from a scientific point of view. But the thing that struck me more than the topic was the intensity and compression, the data compression there of how fast you had to get an answer in. Mm. And I noted there were four people, and there was a fourth one who's was a, an artist from Nashville. And I noticed that you know they weren't quite the other; two, they weren't quite getting to her. And so I, I just. In my turn, I asked, what do you think you know mm. and I, I realized that I was committing a kind of violent crime <laughs> <for them. laughs> of actually being polite and being courteous and being a little spacious the yeah. the medium didn't accommodate it so the first thing I would say is why not use the media first to get some idea of what is out there because it is unbelievable what's in um, available to to people like if you the highest teaching of Buddhism is called Dzogchen, Maha'ati. And there's a perfectly good, and it's highly secret, and it's profound, and there's a perfectly good definition of it and explanation of it on Wikipedia. You know, So if somebody wants to cruise around and look at various sites and just get familiar with it, I think that's using the medium in a, in a good way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then, um, of course, reading, being right behind that, books and so forth. Um, and I think it's good to cruise around a little bit because there are we've never had such a concentration of, um, of available you know, kind of uh, spiritual traditions. And then once you're interested in one, I feel like it's good to, to try to go experience it live and see what the people are like and see what the teachers are like. Um, and uh, allow, uh, allow natural laws of connection and attraction to work. If you like the people or you feel like they talk in your language or, you know, the teacher seems compelling, um, you know, then, then, then you have a chance to, to develop that more. And then what I would say is, and this is just the traditional uh, kind of notion of this, at a certain point, if you're still shopping, you know, um, you're still at the hors d'oeuvre tables when somebody's ready to serve the main course you've overshot the mark. And, and it might be good to consider the possibility, even in this attention deficit world, to dig into something a little deeper and find something with some authenticity for you and allow yourself to to kind of soak in it a, a, a bit and not just be eclectic. So, and then, once you've done that, I would say you want to avoid the trap of becoming kind of narrow-minded in your focus and still be very curious and open-minded about other traditions. Mm. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, very much so. Very much so.
2: That's yeah. the kind of, of sense that you know that we're looking for in terms of sharing with people. Because many people ask about, do I have to go to India to found, find the right teachers? And and we say absolutely not. And uh, and it, it, most especially in the Buddhist tradition, uh. there are in, many many great teachers in the West and in America. Most and, especially in the Buddhist tradition,
0: and there are even if you want the classical thing, there are many Tibetan teachers roaming around here. Yeah. In the last four weekends, I saw Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche one workshop, Punlap Rinpoche another one, uh, Zongstar Kianse Rinpoche another one, and Namkai Norbu Rinpoche. Four mm. weeks in a row. Try finding those guys in India.
2: Yeah. No, it is certainly right you, here you and available. Be
0: out around the back, you know, just maybe getting a picture taken with but there's also
2: people you know c- their concern is not to necessarily get wrapped up in in a particular path that way and it's and it's mm-hmm. more about just getting some just getting some balance i keep using that term that's mm-hmm. it's the best term i can think of because you know otherwise you can get completely swept up uh and uh, and and really you have a hard time a lot of people having a hard time Uh, What
0: what are they having a hard time with?
2: Well, people that, uh, you know, they're just coming into realizing that there is something other than being identified by their their mind egos. And Mm -hmm. that there is a way to just get some space so that you are not falling, you know, head over heels onto everything, every disturbing emotion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they may not call it that, just, you know, a negative, you know, just negativity, they might call yeah. it, or health problems, or or just worldly problems, or, you know, whatever the suffering may be, they realize that that is, you know, a reality, and that there is a way to deal with it outside of your mind. Um, so, uh, they're not necessarily looking to join, you know, any yeah. particular tradition they're looking which is why of course in in this country the self-help uh yeah. gang is is very very popular because they're taking basic concepts like this and they're turning it you know, into uh something a little bit more palpable that you know i mean eckhart tolle is probably a great example of somebody who's really done a great job at that uh-huh. in this culture uh, and and so many people are g- are hearing that initial message you know through sure. somebody like that it's, it's invaluable. So I yep. guess from that point of view you know and that's kind of where we're navigating with this. Um, and also relating our own, in my case and of course with Kridu, how did we get to be with this kind of a being uh, must mean you know we have nothing, we're shit meditators. We don't do nothing. In fact, he called us, you know, you just do the five-limb yoga, eating, sleeping, <laughs> smoking, gossiping, and wandering about. That's it. That's about all your good. You know, And it seemed to be in some ways true, of course, in terms of real practice. So mm. we are highly dependent on Guru's grace. And, and in, in there also is the fact that we've all been involved in Buddhist tradition, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and in Southern Buddhists with Vipassana, you know, going Mm -hmm. to all these courses. And uh, we, there is a foundation to support, you know, faith, not in something outside yourself and understanding, you know, the the reality of what that core, you know, true nature, of course, is the Buddhist term, soul, is, is, you know. So, um, I just... I gravitate towards the practicality of dealing with this all of this stuff on a day-to-day basis, which is why, and you know, David turned on a couple of videos of you teaching and so on, and and we've very much felt akin to the way that you approach this stuff uh, is is coming from that kind of a vantage point that that I think people can really relate with. So, uh, yeah. and I, you know, please. Uh, do get over there and davidnicturn.com is there such a thing
0: well there is but the best one is facebook.com slash okay so join so that, that your medium. facebook group yeah and yeah. every tuesday night pretty much i'm broadcasting right from there uh through facebook and ustream from seven to eight eastern standard time and we're having a live virtual dharma gathering people all over the world and that you can ask questions and you can join the conversation. And then all those talks are also archived. Wonderful. So, and then every day on Facebook, I'm putting up a small, maybe a small, uh, quote, you know, thought for the day or whatever, whatever you, you, you like. But it seems that Facebook has become the kind of focal point. Uh, I do have a website, David but Facebook is, is really more where the action is. So that's where I would send people to yeah. check it out. And you can just like, go to yeah. Yeah. David Nick Turn and like it and you're, and you're in. There you
2: go, people. Um, David, not to um, do too much of a right turn from uh, what we've been talking about, but I want to hear a little bit more about your involvement with music and starting around that time with Maria. And, you know, give it, tell us a little bit of what was like, your life was like then. You had gotten, obviously, you were a student of Tibetan Buddhism and had a master like Trungpa Rinpoche, yet you were out there in the world hustling around trying to make a career.
0: Yeah. I, it was really kind of, I had these two major strands going for 30 years, somewhat competing with each other. And then somehow, about 10 years ago, they just fused. They came together in a very unexpected way. Uh, but, but in those days, I was, um, you know, for one thing, right around then, I also had a, a big hit record, Midnight at the Oasis, which I How wrote. How old were
2: you so when that happened? I
0: was 24 or something wow. like that. Wow. And I toured with, so I was like going back and forth between touring uh, with Maria Mulder and opening for Steven Stills and whatever. And, and and I also had a band with Jerry Garcia and David Grisman for a while. I'd go from that environment right into uh Trungpa Rinpoche world and going back and forth between those two. So it was a very, very colorful, creative time. I remember uh, Maria Mulder looking at me and saying, I don't want no Rinpoche romance, which was cracked me up because the song was, of course, I don't want no ricochet romance. <laughs> So, you know, those worlds were sort of sparking off each other. But for me, I was going back and forth between the two. You know, I'd go play. I, play. I remember I played with Grisman's band in, in, in Denver, Colorado at a club. And then I would, like, go right over to Boulder and, and, and do, a, you know, a weekend program with Trungpa Rinpoche. So um, th- those two sort of, uh, you know, interwove. And then they would pull, you know, one would pull me away from the other more than for a period of time. I moved to LA in maybe seventy four or five, and I was very heavily involved with the uh, the music world. I did some film scoring, I did some record producing, um, and and then I was, you know, also the director of the uh, the, the Buddhist center there at the same time. Really?
2: So, oh, so yeah. this was really parallel lines for a long time. They were
0: parallel say. lines, and they would weave and intersect in strange ways at times. You know, I did some work with Robin Ford, who's a great guitar player, mm-hmm. who's also in my sangha, you know, who's also a student of Trunk Times they would come together. Other times they'd be like, you know, I wouldn't even mention one to the other. You know, it's just like it was irrelevant. Uh, you, you know, so so, and then somehow they came together in my life. So this is just who I am, you see. So it's just like like uh, these things are interchangeable for me in a certain way. I don't, I don't really look at them as... Um, two different kinds of activity anymore. And a lot of times I meet amazing people in the music world through the Dharma world. People, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, um, I had, here's a perfect example. Like I, I met uh, Terry McBride because he, he had a record company that um, produced a bunch of Kirtan albums, including Krishna Das, including Heartlight as Wide as the World. And then uh, I had my label, and I had my label had two two joints to it. One was Dharma Moon, which was a kind of Dharma-ish world music label. The other one was Five Points Records, which was a commercial label. And the last artist I signed to to Five Points Records was Lana Del Rey.
1: Uh-huh. Really, I didn't know. Yeah, that.
0: Yeah, she was on my label. You know, so
1: that's amazing.
0: Uh, yeah. It, it, so so then you know I went to um, Terry, and I said to Terry, you know, you you guys want a manager and one of his managers worked with her for about a year. So, you know, which was the horse, which is the car at a certain point it just turned into a, like a kind of a kind of uh, you know, i i, I an interactive uh, thing.
2: Are you still involved with her?
0: Uh well, she she went on to uh, she kind of went on to Universal Records at a certain point. Right. right. But I, I I still, you know, have a re- uh, business relationship that uh Oh, that's great. As a result of that. But, you know, that's um, that's been kind of um, uh, a lot of times now lately there'll be sort of interesting crosstalk between these two worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but, you know, if somebody just needs me to play guitar and just shut up and play guitar or arrange a session <laughs> or produce a record, I'm there. I love doing it and I don't really need to go blah, blah, blah about anything, you know. Uh, that that's
1: one of the things that comes up a lot on this podcast with people uh, writing to us, David is that integrating work and practice and how difficult it is sometimes for people who work in various jobs that are not particularly dharmic if you like if you're not saying they all are but if you 're not saying they all are and that some of them are drudgery and some of them are difficult um, we 've got a lot of people concerned about their own ability to maintain this so what I wanted to ask you is um, when you're in the studio or Working with Alana Del Rey or or anyone, um, doesn't it really help to have some of the disciplines, uh, you know, imbued in you by practice in dealing with various you know difficulties that come up in in the media world? Certainly, this is true for me. Um, whereby maybe thirty years ago I would have just flown off the handle or just become despairing. I've kind of learned to chill, and it's helped me a lot. And, um, you know, I've been in that media world, too, very much. Um, it's helped me a lot. Uh, without it, I think I would have been so exhausted so much of the time by so much of the crap and bullshit that goes on in corporate media life, you know. So talk to us a little bit about how that integration
0: goes on. Well, yeah, and that's such an interesting topic because, um, to me, that's the cutting edge of all of this is and as you know i'm involved with the Shambhala tradition which is kind of absolutely about the unification or the integration of the spiritual and the um and the secular environments to the point where um the secular environment is is considered sacred you know it's it's it, you don't have to go somewhere else at all you know just how you live in your house how you set up your household how you do your job how you relate to art and so forth, is completely your dharma at that point. So explicitly I'm from that tradition, you know, and this was Trungpa Rinpoche's highest teaching. There's no doubt about that in my mind. This was his most, um, if he was a missile, that was the warhead of the missile was this integration.
2: David, just just for a second, just yes. to make, you know, so everybody is totally clear, just explain dharma for a moment.
0: Yeah, the the... Any kind of notion of spiritual practice or or uh, cultivating goodness, virtue, um, good qualities that that are not necessarily geared towards purely materialistic outcome. You know, understanding how your mind works, understanding how that working with your mind can influence how your life goes, understanding cause and effect and how it operates in, in, in your life and that you're not, um, you know, going to like uh, go around you know being a horrible person and don't expect good shit to happen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's as simple as that in a way. Yeah. And so so um you know the dharma it means the the norm or the law the suchness of things how things actually occur. Um, it's reality. It's a good word for reality, actually. The, mm. But, but uh, So in the, in the world in which we perceive, sometimes we think there's advantage to be gained by being, you know, greedy or jealous or aggressive or whatever. But the Dharma says there's no real advantage to be gained ultimately that way. It just creates, more, it's a cycle and it creates more of itself. So, um, you know, when we talk about the Dharma, then we're talking about sort of cultivation of of our own kind of best qualities and then uh when you talk about that being integrated with the with the sort of worldly uh life it means that somehow you're able to bring those two things together so your spiritual practice and your worldly life are are integrated right and if you look at a great master they should have that that's what i think or even a good practitioner should have begin to show signs of the fact that um that they're somewhat integrated and that they don't have to be sort of expounding or you know delivering categories or something like that but they're actually a good person
2: exactly that and uh, you've gotten to the core of what we like to talk about with people is just this particular uh the meeting rivers here mm. And there was once a wonderful book once. It's still available. I'll have to find it for people, Dave. We'll have to get it out there called Meeting Rivers. Um, it's a it's a bunch of different poetry about this. Uh, this very thing, this very subject done in a, in a poetic manner. Um, but that is, I think, you know, that to say it as plainly as possible, and I, I think you're saying it, obviously, this is, this to me is where these two traditions that we've been talking about, Bhakti Yoga and Tibetan Buddhist um, tradition, uh, absolutely come together. That is the the only we have all sorts of different terms for it. Sure, but it is so there is nothing else but the coming together where every movement, every micro movement, is nothing but moving everything becoming one and everything is treated in that way from an ant to uh, a helpless person on the street. Yeah. And there can't be, there is no other reason for us to be. And, uh, and, and I think in this way, I think some of the, some of the stuff that when people look at it from the outside in terms of, um, you know, you may get accused in this tradition of overthinking, or let's that's not, a, I don't even think that's appropriate. What it really is, is that to me, the Tibetan, um, the concept of reality that Tibetan Buddhist, Buddhism has, in a general way, obviously some more than others, is so clear and such a gem that it's, it seems... You know, and seeing some of it, it's easy to get caught in that. And that, and we, so that's the way the simplicity of the name in bhakti yoga, what Krishnadas is doing, and the reason that it so, works so well, is he is doing it as a practice and nothing else. Mm. And, And it's a practice of the relationship with Maharaji who represents that which is, which clear mind whatever you want to call it in a buddhist (laughs) sense and so that the combination of those two things um creates and this is my own personal view creates the the uh, the meeting of the heart the heart mind you know uh, is is uh there's a uh, a Buddhist tradition that's represented, uh, a Buddhist, a Hindu tra- tradition that, that's known, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but it was known, uh, Swami Nityananda, Do you, are you familiar with him? Muktananda's sure. guru. So oh. he talked about that heart-mind, uh, Chittakash it was called, mm. and that's, I think, exactly what we're talking about on multiple levels, the level of bringing together your spiritual life and your worldly life and the level of, of bringing together wisdom and heart and and uh does that sound reasonable
0: yes and i just add one thing to it because i was as you're talking i'm thinking since i do have a son who's thirty five who's way into this stuff, Ethan Nick Turn who who teaches. Yeah, and he created the Interdependence Project here in New York. And the whatever generation there is that's coming along here, which is and if you're out there and listening, it seems to me I couldn't I could have it not right but I think I do the combination with kind of effective action in the world is extremely important not just talking about it not just blowing smoke and but really really uh, rubber hitting the road in terms of like you know relating very very effectively to things like government and, and um, you know climate and economy and uh, uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know all these things so um, you, you know, it's sort of like coming to a time when its um, action will, will speak louder than words at a certain point. And, yes, and people who are afraid of action, who are metaphysicians, who are afraid of action, are going to get sidelined. That's what I think.
2: But I think at the same time, because in fact, we're we're speaking with a friend of ours tomorrow, doing a podcast. Uh, who is heavily involved with uh, the Social Venture Network. I'm not quite sure if you know. That's a bunch of entrepreneurial people. Yes, you're aware of it. Uh And we're we're, going to speak at at length with him. But there's there's a way in which the motivation he and people like your son have, there's a, a real compassionate bent. They maybe it's just out of the the necessity things have to change now that's right that's right and that but they also seem to be coming from the right place you know ramdas used to give these lectures and talking about protest and you know and if you're out there proce- we're gonna kill them mother you know if you're doing that in any way polarized for whatever social action you're trying to you know do or whatever you're trying to change you're lost and you're gonna do the opposite of what your intention is so Ramdas in this case was an advisor to the social venture network people getting them to come from compassionate heart whatever action came from sure. that place sure. and I think that's an important uh, thing for for people that's why I love uh, we're getting involved with the social venture network um, with uh, Ramdas and you know uh, whatever that uh, sort of back to what they Uh, their original intentions are to keep that as a central pivot point for the organization.
0: Sure. Well, it always is going to come down to when you interleave, you know, materialistic concerns and spiritual concerns is when push comes to shove, what's going to, what's going to rule, you know? And that's why, that's why it's always an interesting situation to talk to somebody who's like trying to marry their materialistic life to their spiritual practice like, who's got the trump card? You know, if, if they're offering you enough money, did your spiritual thing just go out the window? You
2: know? Yeah, exactly, yes. It's, so, as you say, walking the walk. But is, there are,
1: there are so many people now who are doing incredible work. who You wouldn't sort of say were spiritual or anything. I mean, I met this guy recently called Jeremy Scahill who's written this book called Dirty Wars, which is a mm-hmm. huge book right now. This documentary film the company it came out last week in New York. I mean, this guy has just... One pointed hitting out at the really, really weird secret practices that are going on in the U.S. government all over the world. Mm. And I believe, actually, that I have to know about this. Um, not that it's just, okay, the world's fucked, yeah. and the apocalypse is about to drop, and therefore I should just meditate. Now, I, I can't take that that approach because of people like Jeremy, who are very steadfastly... Uh, pointing out to people that there are some really, really weird stuff going on on behalf of the people we elect. And so I think that's another thing that's going on that is spiritual, actually. Because it's for the betterment of most of, of people, isn't it? I mean, it's karma yoga taken to the level of using the media, writing books, getting people hip. Is Ethan involved in that kind of thing, too?
0: Oh, absolutely. But I just want to say, from my point of view... It's interesting, who's holding views that are, you know, something, again, talking to whoever's out there. I'm going to recommend that the most prescient book I've read lately is Al Gore's book called The Future. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm shocked by how few people have heard about it. And it's deep and dense. And you have to, if, if you guys are going to, out there are going to go read it, you got to be patient and you got to dig into it. But it's the six drivers of global change. And I find it the biggest view I've heard yet from anybody about the situation that we're in currently hmm. in, terms of, in terms of the technological, the, the, the economic forces, um, the transformational forces that are happening. Um, I don't know who is in that body there, who that guy is, but, but he's, he's a global thinker in the, in the biggest sense of the word. And if you understand all the forces that he's talking about there – um i think that's that's paramount because otherwise it's six blind people and an elephant mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. you know there are a lot of forces coming together right now and the the kind of spiritual element is one and the kind of there's a lot of things coming together that are really coming together in a way they never did before and if you if you if you don't see that you won't see how you what you're doing fits into it you know so i think one of the things is that one thing we can offer and particularly you know for me as a the older dog at this point is reemphasizing the value of human contact just what you're saying about ramdas you know of 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 actual physical non-virtual contact <laughs> even <laughs> with dogs and so forth and 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 the earth element of it you know because the world is is moving towards a kind of breakneck speed towards virtuality and uh if you read any of the predictions about some of this stuff, I have no doubt we're moving that direction of virtual reality. We look at this conversation we're having right now.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so
0: so the organic process is going to be a counterpoint. The slow, steady practice of meditation where you actually have to sit on your ass for an hour, the process of talking, dialogue, you know, of actually working with your hands and stuff like that, um, I, I think that's going to have a tremendous counterweight, um, but... Well, not as a reactionary thing, but as a as a counterpoint.
2: The future, Al Gore. I think that that let's make sure. I mean, I have heard of it, but I have yeah. not been thinking. I should be prompted to read it, but I'm going to take David's advice here, and do read it. And going to uh, and and David and I'll see if there's. Uh, I'm sure a lot that we can talk about and other people we can talk once we have some understanding and read it ourselves. So we're recommending it out there, and that brings me to. Again, Amazon.com, you can get that book through them and go through our portal on mindrollingpodcast.com and help us, help to support what we're doing. This is our little commercial, repeat it again, David. And David uh, Silver, do
1: you have? Uh, Well, just audible.com is our other one. And if you go to the banner portal on our website, uh, you can buy their audiobooks. And you get a free one, there's a free trial, month I guess, and we get a little, uh, a few shekels from them, and it keeps us Shekels thing, are yeah, what we need. We need them. So keep doing that, and uh, and we, we appreciate it. And you get the same thing you would get if you didn't go on the portal, except like, so we get something. Yeah, exactly.
2: So,
0: please, so, please, so please do you do. you get credit for selling CDs too? Everything
2: yes. that goes, anybody going through the portal, the Amazon portal, if they buy a car, we get a a small percentage of
0: it. Well, then go to dharmamoon.com and look at any of our, our, our wonderful world music records.
2: And, and buy them on Amazon.
0: Buy them through this portal, everybody. Yeah, yeah, do that. Do that.
2: Uh, David, do you do you know, um, of course, we got Mind Rolling. We tell this to every Buddhist. We got it from, because we love, and I especially, found uh, Khandro Rinpoche, who I'm sure mm-hmm. you know. Mm. love a lot and uh you know that's her eminence mind rolling khandro rinpoche yeah. and so we've you know we've lifted it and we hope uh in fact we're dying one day we're gonna have her hopefully come on 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 the show with us on the podcast and um uh, but it, it we found it so at first it was just mind rolling we're just we want to keep the mind spacious and rolling and not stuck in any one place. So we're open yes. to keep. So that was the kind of the concept. David came up with mugging <laughs> the mind. So we have mug the mind uh, well, mugs, by the way. It's
0: mind rolling from mind rolling?
2: It, it is. Yeah. But I didn't know from mind rolling. I thought that. it was mind rolling. I went, that sounds great. <laughs> So we just took it, okay? No, I mean, it's so terrible, funny. but, you know, right. Lama Suriadas gave us the okay, though he said it's okay. <laughs> because as long as you can, what it really, what it represents is the garden of ripening and awakening. So this is what David Silver and I, Raghu Marcus, are aspiring we to. We aspire to it, David. We don't, We're we don't.
0: Well, this just proves that you can get enlightened by accident. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> there right. you go. It's right. all proof of that.
2: Hey, thank you so much, You're David. Great. You're great. You're wonderful. We love you. Of course, we love you. We always have loved you. And um, we'll do this again. I think we can continue and, and do some constructive things here to, yeah. to help us. <laughs> particularly <laughs>
0: well I'm, I'm so happy to hear from both of you and wish you the best and everybody out there um, you know the main thing is uh, last words from we used to have a thing in, in Buddhism called grandmother's advice which is just uh, I feel equipped to give at this point uh, find something that's meaningful you, to you and get into it and uh, you know that's the thing is um, don't, don't stay at the hors d'oeuvre table forever
2: mm-hmm. fabulous very good
0: so thank you so much for the opportunity to chat and thank you David thank you
2: David and uh, (laughs) mindrollingpodcast.com and and go to go to Facebook
1: uh, David Nickturn to check that live broadcast yes Uh, do that as well worth doing for God's sake all right talk to you all later
0: okay bye bye guys bye bye